0: and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 as I pick up where the guys have left off in the last few weeks and uh, next Sunday night uh, whichever one of them is preaching can either redo if they don't think I did it well enough or they can go the next section whichever it might be. Uh, But we're going to start in in verse 5 of of chapter 3 of Colossians this evening and continue talking about putting on the new self and what that means in Christ to uh, be a new man, a new woman, uh, walking in grace, walking by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this morning as we looked at at those first two verses of Jude as we began that study this morning, uh, I, I was reminded as we sang tonight that, that song, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, which has kind of become sort of a... I don't know, a, a theme song or something around grace to, to sing that because it, it means so much. But you know, as, as, as Jude was talking to that church and he dealt with subjects like we are the called in Christ and, and we, he talked about that in such clarity and such emphaticness. Uh, you are the called in Christ. You're the ones who have experienced the grace of God. I actually had it in my notes this morning, forgot to say it. For some reason, I got carried away and got into the next point. But, you know, I, I sometimes wonder if our understanding of grace, and we sang about amazing grace tonight, we sing about it all the time, and it's one of the most beloved hymns of the, of the Christian faith. But a lot of times when we sing amazing grace, I wonder if we're not singing as though amazing grace were all lowercase letters. And when we ought to be singing it as though we're all uppercase letters. Emphatically, exclamation point. You know, realizing that, that His amazing grace is the reason we are believers. His amazing grace is the reason we are a church. His amazing grace is the reason that our lives have been changed and we've been made like Him. But as time goes on in our walk with Christ, it seems like we become so comfortable, I guess the only word I can think of, we become so comfortable in that walk. We become so comfortable, and that's just the way it is, that our, our amazement seems to just vanish. Every time we think about the grace of God, we ought to be amazed. I I don't care how long we've been a Christian, I don't care how many services we've set through, and how many times we've sung that song. Every time we think about the grace of God, and it touching our life, and how it changed our life, we ought to stand amazed by that, because it was not our works, it was not our deeds, it was not by what we did, but it was by His touch, His grace, His work, and it ought to amaze us that He would have called me that he would touch my life without any merit of my own and bring me to faith in Jesus Christ. It's just an amazing thing. So amazing grace ought to be all caps, exclamation point, never lower caps, never blasé, never passe. It ought to always be something that just elicits great joy and great gratitude out of our hearts every time we see it. That has nothing to do with the sermon tonight, uh, but I thought I wanted to add that after singing that that great hymn and and that arrangement of it tonight. Starting in chapter 3, verse 5, hear the words of the Apostle Paul. Hear the word of God. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And it put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. The Apostle Paul, in in writing this letter to the Colossians, as it has been pointed out clearly in in the last weeks that we've been in it, is writing a letter to a a group of believers there in Colossae, at the church in Colossae, in order to first of all build them up in their understanding of the faith, to build them up theologically in chapters 1 and 2 primarily. He talks about the incomparable nature of Christ. He talks about the glory of Christ. He talks about Christ being the exact image of the invisible God. He talks about Christ being the head of the body the church. And on and on and on. He lays down that foundation of who Christ is in order that we might understand in chapters 3 and 4 what Christ has done. He always, Paul always follows deep theological teaching with practical application of that theological teaching. He always says on the basis of what I've just told you that Christ has done and who Christ is, I encourage you to be obedient as believers in following him and this is the effects that it will have on your life. Now a couple of weeks ago when when I believe his brother Scott preached on verses 1 through 4 of chapter 3, he dealt with a whole idea where Paul says you've been raised up with Christ. So in being raised up with him on the basis of your resurrection, on the basis of your new life, and, of course, the key there is there's an understanding that there was death. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, he would say to the Ephesian Christians. You were dead because you were disobedient. You were dead because you were outside of Christ. But now, in Christ, you have been raised up. And so, since you have been raised up, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. See at the right hand of God the Father. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For you've died. You've died to self. You've died to sin. You've died to all these things that he's going to tell us in this passage this evening that we ought to put aside, that we ought to avoid, that we ought not be caught up in. All of those are predicated on the fact that Jesus Christ has literally captivated our lives, has changed our life in Christ by grace, and now we walk in a new life. Becoming a Christian is not just a matter of adding Jesus to your life. Becoming a Christian is not just saying, oh well, among all the other things in this world, I will also add Jesus in in my life. No, becoming a Christian is literally being transformed. It's literally dying to self and dying to sin and being raised to newness of life. That's That's what we illustrate. That's what we demonstrate in the whole picture of baptism. We are buried in a watery grave and we are raised to newness of life to walk with him in that life. And Paul to these Colossian Christians is making it very emphatic, very clear that they understand that they are now dead to self and they are alive in Christ Jesus. And that means everything. That means everything changes and that means everything is different because of the work of Christ in their life. So then he gets to to verse 5. And he says there, okay, consider, uh, the old King James, I think, says, reckon therefore your, your," I don't know what that is, I don't know. Therefore consider or reckon the members of your earthly body as dead. Uh, The picture there is quite simple. The picture there is that, that you are to see everything about your life that is the things that were a part of your life prior to Christ. Those things have died. Remember he said to the Corinthian Christians that, that, that all things have passed away and all things have become new. There, there's a new creation. There's a new uh, a work by Christ and all that old stuff. The sin and everything else is now there's a newness of life and there's a, there's a whole renewal. He uses the word renewal later on and we'll talk about what that means as we get to it. But he says, consider consider your earthly bodies, the members of your earthly body, as dead. And then it gives a list of some things that it's to be dead to. Immorality. Well, that ought to be an a, a understood thing, although we live in a, a world today where it's not so clearly understood. We live in a world today where people within the church many times uh, carry on lifestyles that are contrary to what the Word of God says, and they say, oh, well, it, it's just because we now live in this new age, in this new time, when those kind of things are acceptable, because everybody's doing them. no. Paul says things that are immoral, things that are immorality, things that God's Word clearly speak that you are not to be about, as a believer, you ought to put those things aside. I, I don't care if it's, it's, if it's sexual activity outside of marriage, either before marriage or during marriage, outside the marriage relationship. I, I don't care if it's, if it's stealing. I don't care if it's cheating on your income taxes. I don't care what it is. All of those things are wrapped up in that word immorality. And, and Paul says you are to consider your earthly bodies, the members of your earthly body, as dead to all those things. You can think about the Ten Commandments. Those are the moral law of God. Those present the, the moral character of God. And, and you think about those, and those things that that in the law God said you shall not do, or you shall do, that, then you are to consider your, your your, the members of your body as, as dead to the things that are contrary to God's moral law, God's moral nature. Now, that doesn't mean that you become a Christian by keeping the law. It doesn't mean you become a Christian because you can obey the Ten Commandments. Nobody can. That's why Christ went to that cross. He went to the cross because it was we were incapable of keeping his law. We were incapable of keeping his commandments. And so he died... After living a perfect life, fulfilling the law completely in himself, he died to take the wrath that was due us upon himself, so that we might live. Uh, quite simply, so, but but Paul says here, it's vital that you understand that you are to die to those kind of things. Don't even. I mean, I love the way he said it to the Ephesians. He, he talked about basically the same thing, and he said uh, to the Ephesians, and talking about in, in chapter five, again, verse one. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but it's just a couple of pages back. But he starts out by saying, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also um, loved you and gave himself for us, an offering, a sacrifice. But listen to what he says in verse 3. But immorality, or any impurity or greed, must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness, Silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God." I mean, Paul is saying the same thing, the Ephesians and the Colossians, just wording a little differently. But, but the point he makes clear is that within the body of Christ, among the people of God, immorality is not even something that is to be tolerated or to be, uh, be looked upon lightly. That We are to take those things seriously. That's why accountability within the body, that's why church discipline within the body is such a necessary and important thing. It's because we are to look out for one another. We are to care for one another enough that we try to help one another learn what it means to die to self and live unto Christ. So, So consider yourself dead to immorality, to impurity. That word for impurity is an interesting word. If immorality has to do with the actions of the body, and it does, the things that your body involves itself in in a physical sort of way, Impurity carries with the idea, not so much of the actions, but the, the thinking, the, the mental involvement, the, the thinking on those things, having impure thoughts. And if there's one thing the Scripture makes eminently clear from Proverbs and the Psalms right on through the New Testament, is it, simply this principle. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, what you're dwelling on, what you're thinking on, if they're impure thoughts, they will manifest themselves in, in immoral actions. Impurity here is a word that goes with your thought life, and so you're to keep your li- You're to keep not only your life in line with what Christ wants for you, but you're also uh, by His grace, by the way, and by His power. We know that, but you're also to keep your thoughts in check. You're not to dwell on things that are ungodly. You're not to dwell on things that are contrary to God's purpose. But you're to think on things. So the Philippians, he said, listen, whatever is pure and right and good and, and, and whatever is of good reputation, let your mind dwell on these things. Meditate on these things. Concentrate on these things. Because if you do that, the God of peace will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. So, so Paul is making it clear that... Impure thoughts will, will affect your life and lead to immoral actions. So guard yourself from immoral, immorality and guard your thoughts, guard your passions. What are you passionate about? What are you really driven by? Now, I, I'm, I'm sure that here in Kentucky we could say that you're driven by UK basketball. And easily we can say, well, that's not a sin, that's not immoral, or that's not impure. Surely that is a pure thing, uh, most would say, like we would say in Alabama, that football is a pure thing, never a, an idol, never anything that, that, that is so passionate that it, sh- that it pushes out our passion for Christ. But think about it. Is there anything in your life that you're so passionate about that you're driven to be obedient to that and, 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 beca- and to, to carry that out, to be a part of that? You want it more than anything else? that it really does distract from your walk with Christ. I've mentioned several times here. Uh, Years ago, a man named Neil Postman wrote a book entitled Amusing Ourselves to Death. And, And in that book, he basically draws the picture, everything from politics to religion, how we've come to an amusement passion. That we just want to be amused, we just want to be entertained, we just want to, we just want to feel something exciting, and, and anything can drive us that way. Reli- religion that is even non Christ centered can, can drive us, and that becomes sin in our life if we become passionate about something that is not Christ. And, and Postman his his t- the title of his chapter on religion was "Shuffle On Off to Bethlehem," and, and the whole idea was is that sometimes we make. Christianity, we make religion nothing more than a vaudeville act where we, we, we laugh about it, we play with it, we're entertained by it, but it doesn't reach the very, the very center of the passion of our life. Christ is not the passion. Something else is. And, and I, I quite honestly believe we're living in a day where the passions of, of other things really pull us away from our passion for Christ far too often. We're to guard that. We're to consider our body as dead to that. Evil desires again goes back to thinking about the thought of our life. And, and then he says greed. And, and I love what he compares greed to. He, he, he talks about these others as being wrong and sinful and, and things we ought to consider ourselves dead to. But when he comes to greed he says die to greed because Greed amounts to idolatry. Greed amounts to idolatry. Now you know what greed is. None of us are greedy. I, I realize that. We're all beyond that. We're, we're, not, we're not driven by something we've just got to have, or we just really want, or, 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 or drives our whole thinking. But many times we are. And even within the church of Jesus Christ, we find ourselves greedy. We think of greedy people as those evil people who sit in dark rooms and just steal from everybody else. But we'd be just as greedy and be just as poor as a church mouse. And when we are greedy, we are placing things. Or my favorite word that I probably overused, but I'll probably keep overusing it. We put stuff in, in, the, in, in the place of Christ. That's what drives us. I'd give anything to see churches across this land and, and grace in, in that who are so passionate about Christ, so desirous to be obedient to Christ that, that they want nothing but His glory. They want nothing but to seek Him first and His righteousness and let all these other things be added to them as God wills. They, the needs will be added, Christ says. But our purpose, our goal, our desire, our passion, our thoughts, our thinking, our actions, everything is to be geared toward the glory of Christ. He said, quite honestly, you you do understand that these things like immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed and idolatry, these are the things that the wrath of God will come upon. These are the things that God will pour out His wrath upon among the sons of disobedience. Now, we know we're in Christ... If we are in Christ, that wrath is all, our wrath, the wrath that's due us, has already been poured out, hasn't it? Poured out at the cross. Christ took on himself the wrath that we deserve. But he says, you know, sometimes we Christians, if we're not careful, can still let the things of the world uh, climb in and, and, and clamor about our life to the point that we're living in a way that's indistinguishable from the world around us. And if we're called to be anything, we're called to be different. As a matter of fact, one writer in the the New Testament says that we are called to be a peculiar people. Peculiar people. Different people. Different in the way we live, different in the way we act, different in the way we think. Different in what people see in our lives. And part of the problem today with the gospel going forth in the United States of America is there are not enough peculiar people. Now, I don't mean weird, there's a difference in peculiar and weird. Weird is just weird. Nobody wants to be around a weird person. But peculiar, peculiar in Christ, is just different. You see there's a difference in your life. And many times they have to see that before they hear the gospel. Many times they have to see that in your life before you can share openly the word of Christ with them. You can't just live it. You know, many times, I forget, was it? I can't remember who it was. It wasn't Augustine, but one of the old, old church fathers or something is quoted sometimes as saying, you know, Share the gospel, or preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. That's about, that makes about as much sense as saying, feed the hungry, and if necessary, use food. You know, I mean, that's just that makes no sense. If you share the gospel, if you preach the gospel, you will, of necessity, use words. We've talked about that, because if you just live it, if you just say, well, I just live my faith, I don't... I don't talk about it, I just live it. Well, that's fine, but they, they get this strange, mistaken idea that you are some kind of just perfect person and you're a good person in your own right. They have to be directed to the fact that you are different, you are peculiar because of Christ. And they'll only know that by you telling them that. Well, Paul goes on in this passage to the Colossians to remind them that they did once walk in that way, they once were living in that way. And then verse 8, the beginning word is that all-important word in the New Testament, especially in Paul's writings. But, but now you don't. Now you put them aside. Uh, and with them you put aside anger and malice and slander and abusive speech from your mouth. You don't lie to one another. And since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, you put on the new self. You're, you're being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. I mean, Paul says, listen, it's a dramatic thing that happened. It's a dramatic change that has taken place if you are in Christ. It's not an everyday, ordinary religious experience. It's the reality of the living God taking the old man, stripping the old man off, and putting on the new man. It says here, you've put it on, you've taken it off. But Paul is very clear to say it's only by his power, only by his grace, only by his work that that takes place. And there's a renewal. And that renewal is critical. I, I, I hope you see that in, in, in verse 11. There's a renewal, a renewal to the new man, in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all to those who are in Christ. A friend of mine, I actually wanted to show a clip out of this. I couldn't figure out which clip to show or how long we could do it. But a friend of mine was on KET a couple of weeks ago on a show at 5 o'clock on Friday evening. That's about as close as I can get to tell you what the show was. But they were discussing his new book. He's written a new book entitled One New Man. And I've read the book. It's an excellent book. It's an academic book. on Well, it's subtitled The Cross and racial reconciliation in Pauline theology. And Jarvis Williams, the author, happens to be a professor over at Campbellsville University and a graduate of Southern Seminary and a friend of mine. And in that talk, he was so articulated the fact that, listen, we are still a nation that is racially troubled. No doubt about that. Both sides will use the race card when they feel like it's to their advantage. We, we still separate and segregate in so many ways. We still, we still have trouble bringing about racial reconciliation. We talk about people uh, that are white or, or African American or, or Asian. or you know we, we break all these things down and make those the races. And, and J- uh, Jarvis's premise in the book, based on what Paul says, and I think he's absolutely right, is that those may be nationalities and those may be places where people have come from, but in Jesus Christ there is but one race, just one race, one new man that is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, black, white, yellow, red, whatever you want to fill in the blank, that in Christ races evaporate or should evaporate. To the point there's just one race. Somebody ask you what race. I wonder what it would have if we started filling this out on our census and other things, and they say race. And we just write Christian. <laughs> Christian. You know, now I realize most bureaucrats would see that and say, oh, they must be white. They're American. You know, they're Christian. You know, it's such a misunderstanding. But in Christ, there is, there is, there is no Jew or Greek. There is no free man or slave. There, there, is no, there is no black or white or red or yellow. It's all one new man in Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying when we come to this renewal, it will not only affect our personal life, it will not only affect our, our, our shunning of immorality and impurity and all these things that we think about, but it will manifest it, itself in really coming to grips with a new man and a new woman. Jarvis Williams, the author of that book, happens to be an African American who has, in the last two years, become one of my dearest friends on the face of the earth. And it's it's amazing how we, you know, just we don't see color when we talk, when we visit. We we just see see brothers in Christ. I wish we could all be like my son was one time. He was very young, about five years old, and now he's about twenty-five, but. We had moved to Florida. We had a couple of friends in Atlanta, uh, Marion and Jackie Small. They had a little music ministry. They sang. They were called Small Blessings. And uh, it's kind of a nice play on words. And they came to, we were invited them to come to Sweetwater. You've got to realize when we moved to Florida, at Sweetwater, it was a snow white church. Changed somewhat through the years we were there, but it, it, uh, there was no ethnicity at all there. It was all white. And Red and I were sitting around one night just kind of thinking, you know, this is kind of different from this church. I wonder how they're gonna receive Marion and Jackie and and you know and, and everything. And we kind of talked about it. And Will was sitting on the floor playing, and I said something about, I don't know if they've ever had a, a, a black couple come and sing before. And Will was playing on the floor and he stood up and he looked at me and said, Dad, are Marion and Jackie black? <laughs> I mean, it was like, now that's great. They'd been in our home, he had visited with them, he knew them, he had fellowship with them, and, and to them he was just, they were just friends of ours. He didn't care about what, never even think about what color their skin was. That's what Paul is getting to here about this renewal that comes when we are in Christ. Ethnicity does not matter. Racial does matter because we are one new race in Christ Jesus set apart for the glory of God. I think, that's, I think that's beautiful. I think that's beautiful. Because Christianity really shows itself out when things that were old barriers began to be broken down. When, when old barriers began to be broken down for the glory of God, the glory of Christ, and the praise of His glory. So, so when Paul talks here about this new self, this new life, this life that is will never be perfect, granted, on this earth, but this life that is new in him, it touches everything. It changes everything. It changes the way we see other people. It changes the way we think. And it changes the way we live. All for the glory of Christ. Well, if Todd wants to go back and correct me on some of this, he can. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of this passage. That you have changed our hearts and changed our lives. You've made us new in Christ Jesus. Father make us passionate for Christ Lord make us passionate to know your glory Lord give us a passion to reconcile where there is Irreconciliation. Give us a passion, Lord, to put aside the old self, the old man and to walk in you. Father, thank you for our time together in your word tonight. Thank you for Grace Baptist Church. What you have done, what you are doing and Lord, what you are going to do as we keep our eyes focused on you and you alone for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our living Lord, we pray. Amen.